Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm here as always with the man, the myth, the guy from the Berg, the DOE. Brett, what's up, dude? What's uh, what's going on in the Berg these days, my friend? Uh, fall. Fall is going on in the Berg. Uh, we overnight went from unseasonably warm to fall. Um, so that's what's going on. And uh, I cannot believe Halloween's two weeks away. Um, yeah, I got, I got nothing. This year has been a blink <laughs> and they seem to go by faster. Yeah. So no, no, no pumpkin spice feelings today, or just maybe just a little less. I'm a little jet lagged. It's I'm, I'm low on the pumpkin spice feelings today. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to, we're going to have to fix that. Get you a little, little treat, huh? A little, little pumpkin spice little latte pump- from the bucks. Um, some Uggs. Um, anyways, uh, we're not a talking nice about cardigan. that once again, once again, we, we, we went on a tangent, but, uh, at this point, just expect it, um, expect shenanigans for the first five to seven minutes of this podcast. And then you can forward through, um, last podcast, we talked about ballistics and, and we sort of, uh, uh, you know, we we definitely dug deep and we we talked about you know various aspects of ballistics. But now we're going to talk about um, grinds, which is uh, um, sort of the opposite end of the spectrum um, when it comes to uh, strength training, particularly in the you know the strong first curriculum. But um, look, at, at the end of the day, right? Um, most people are doing a variation of uh, depending on speed, of course, but you know variation of, uh, of of sort of ballistics and grinds in some sort of their training, whether they know it or not. It just depends on how they're executing it. So. Our goal is to uh, provide a little bit more clarity on grinds and 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 give you some feedback on on, on grinds and, and and some things that you should sort of consider when you're training grinds and uh, and we'll go from there. So, um, Brett, what's the main what? difference between grinds and ballistics? So, uh, grinds are more high tension related strength moves. Uh, whereas in the ballistics, we're having um, uh, their for uh, broad strokes power moves. So we're trying to have um, super high rate of force development and uh, release of power driving through the ground, um, creating that momentum uh, into the something like a swing. And as we talked about last time, that that loaded eccentric really providing a, a unique benefit. For our grinds, we're looking at more high tension technique, um, strength exercises that are focused on, well, um, building strength. The the answers um, in in the name, and um, so, and for us, that's going to break down into things like our military press, our uh, pull ups, uh, pistols. Uh, did I say front squat already? Yeah, well, you just did. Uh, so you said it right when you I'll said it. I'll say it again. Yeah, front squat and uh, 
bridge for press get ups um all of these and and yeah I'm, I'm not giving a complete list because we don't have that much time uh, so but they are the the high tension moves um that uh, are not using the the power uh and and um momentum of the of the ballistics and, and we've talked about tension uh several times and we've actually had had podcasts on tension and relaxation but you know i just want to cover quickly uh something and uh it's super important for ballistics and grinds and it's it's just i think a big part of it is is understanding um and learning how to teach your students about how to control your body without your arms and legs meaning how to move your pelvis independently of your lumbar spine and, you know, how to uh, focus on your thoracic spine and even your scapula to a certain extent, because all of those things play a role in your ability to create tension, um, whether it's a uh, tension for a grind or a tension for a ballistic, right? So it's the ability to get in shapes and to get stacked in a way that you can create optimal tension for your body. But that doesn't always go well because of several different reasons. But, um, you know, I think when it comes to stacking and we, you know, we pelvis over rib cage and stuff like that, I, I think a lot of people take it too far and they, they make it too complicated. And, uh, I think it needs to be, I think people need to know the basics, but I think they also need to understand that like no one's hitting a PR on their posterior pelvic tilt today. Right. So it's, it's just an ends to a means, but do you find that too, Brett? Like when you're really teaching people about, you know, tension and grinds as, you know, sure, we're talking about activation, et cetera, but setting up just the joints for optimal alignment. I mean, how important is that? Well, yes. Uh, and the caveat for me is if I don't know your exact joint structure, I may be trying to force you into a less than optimal uh, position. When Fabio... Uh, Kathy Dooley and I wrote the article on optimizing your grip for the military press um, and looking at the three different wrist archetypes of uh, ulnar deviated, neutral, and radial deviated, and uh, Fabio and I being case studies in the extremes of uh, ulnar for me and radial for him, uh, wrist position. Um, you know, I ran into a lot of trouble when I started trying to use Fabio's grip for my military press. Um, it is the exact wrong thing <laughs> for me. And uh, if you haven't read that article, dude, seriously, go read the Good article. Um, so that's just an, an example that something is subtle. And when you look at the, the the size of a kettlebell handle, we're not talking about, you know, three inches different grip. We're talking about a few centimeters, a couple centimeters difference in alignment, whether I'm thumb side of the handle and and fabio's pinky side of the handle but that alignment on the bell the alignment in our hand to align with the wrist structure uh, makes a massive difference in how you are able to produce and handle the force you're producing because that offset center of mass and thick handle really creates a little bit of a different situation uh, but i i worked through that wrist conversation with uh, one of our instructors for the barbell and changed grip and magically a shoulder problem went away. Um, so how you align your structure and how you produce force, um, yeah, it matters. And, um, but then, but again, the caveat is how do I know I'm not placing you in a position that is not advantageous to your joints? 
one of the things that I always point to is they've done studies where they take PT students and physical therapists and people that are skilled with palpation and identifying structures, and they take a cadaver and they precisely identify the ASIS and uh, and then have the uh, students come in or PTs come in and try to put sticker you know, right on the ASIS. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, they're not good at it. Um, identifying something that we consider, you know, uh, typically to be so easy to find as, as far as the ASIS is actually very hard to precisely uh, define from palpation. So now you're telling me from 15 feet across the room, you're seeing what's happening at somebody's SI joint. Save it. Just don't even start that conversation with me because that three millimeters of movement that you think you're seeing, you're not. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's just ridiculous what people convince that I've convinced myself of in the past and that others have convinced themselves of in the past. Uh, Fabio uses the term, if it looks right, it flies right. Um, and so there might be some aspects to somebody's grinding form that you might think, um, you know, well, that was, I think we should do this, that, or the other thing. Well, if it looks right, it flies right. Um, yeah. you know, if somebody's pressing the 40 and not having, you know, issues with any joints or any structures, you know, the, this, this ties in just real quick, the, um, the kickback from the biopsychosocial people in the fact that posture doesn't matter because posture will <clears throat> oftentimes postural issues will not line up with findings of pain. <clears throat> well, that's a different conversation than moving force through the body, um, aligning those structures so that the force goes and, and Stu McGill uses the term steering strength. You know, you're steering your strength through the ground from pushing through the ground, moving that force through your body. Um, you know, their joint positions matter, but are you sure you're seeing what you think you're seeing? Um, I think that's an, an important uh, caveat. Absolutely. No. And, and, and I think too, you know, the first thing that we need to do is, uh, is, is understand that when it comes to optimizing movement, there's kind of two ways to do it. One, you can train yourself and trial and error and know what works for you. And, and in a way you're probably optimizing movement, but just what you know, right. You're not making any changes. You're just doing what you do. And that's how you've learned how to train. And then there's professionals where they can do assessments and they can collect data on your anatomy and your structure both from a, from a anatomical standpoint, bony adaptation standpoint, but also from a soft tissue standpoint, and then make educated decisions on, Hey, like, look, there's a reason why we can't get more internal hip rotation because you're bone on bone. So like you're trying to squat this way, but the reason why you can't, and the reason why it hurts is because of this. So, you know, a good coach can optimize the individual's technique based off of bony adaptations in current movement competency. And when I say current, current movement competency is because it changes. My movement competency is different than it was years ago based off of what I do day in and day out. So that's a big part of it. But a good coach should be able to refine the technique. So when it is time to really dial up the tension, you're doing it in a safe fashion. But then the caveat to that is, is you don't know what it's going to feel like until it's heavy. So you can't guess, quote unquote, guess or optimize someone's groove load, et cetera, through the assessment alone. It's going to take, I, I'm going to be honest, if you want to get really good at it, it could take years. It could take years to dial it in 
and relearn and we and retweak things simply because information is going to is just always going to come in and and it's like having a goalpost that's always moving a little bit. You're just going to have to change what you do based off of the current information. Look, I, I got a client right now that uh, we're getting ready to leave for England uh, tonight to the to go to the IPL Worlds and we've changed his his technique, we've changed his wedge, we've changed his programming. Over the last two years, we've been doing that. Now, he's only been powerlifting for two years, but we've had to make changes based off of the information that comes to us, based off of, hey, like, because some people ask, what's better sumo or conventional? Have you done either? Have you run two, three, four, five cycles on each? The answer is it doesn't matter because both will work for a little bit until it doesn't. So that's a big part of it is, you know, know your anatomy, know what the individual is capable of, and then choose choose a, when I say methodology or choose uh, an apparatus or an implement that is going to allow you to move authentically without banging into your own shit. And that's just a big part of it too. And that's why, honestly, that's why the kettlebell is, is so, um, what's the word of forgivable, right? Like, like you can, you can, the bar uh, forgiving, I should say, uh, the barbell is not the most forgiving implement to lift with the kettlebell is. And that's why I love the kettlebell for grinds. Because it does allow for individual variability and it kind of happens right from the get-go because people tend to go in their press where they can go. And, and that will give you some insight. I'm not saying it's the optimal way, but um, I've found that just teaching people about grinds with kettlebells early on seems to make the whole experience of teaching tension that much easier. Absolutely. And just to kind of cap off this, uh, you know, alignment, uh, being so important to, to, to grinds conversation, uh, and ballistics, um, you coming back to myself as an example, cause we haven't talked about me in like the last two minutes. So we should definitely get back to that. Um, you know, talked about the, the wrist structure. Uh, I had a car accident in high school, um, AC joint uh, or sorry, SC joint injury from the seatbelt my left pressing groove is different than my right pressing groove. And if you try to force me to make those things equal, you're going to cause me problems. Uh, my hips, uh, which we probably discussed before, cause I love talking about my hips, you know, 62 degree alpha angle on my right hip and uh, cam style FAI and completely torn labrum and blah, 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 pretty similar on the left. You know, if I don't, if I don't use my foot turnout, you know, I run into big problems. So, you know, and, and, I caused myself a lot of problems trying to go against my structure. So um, make sure that the blanket recommendation you're about to enact uh, from Guru X or Influencer X uh, is is actually a good idea for you. The sumo versus conventional uh, conversation. I had uh, uh, pretty much a, a MCL tear, uh, complete um, deep fibers, uh, MCL tear in uh, sixth grade. Um, I was preparing for my SFL and um, decided to pull sumo. Sumo always light. Sumo always felt amazing. Well, I, st- I switched to sumo and, and apparently was going heavy enough to really put a lot of pressure on that inside uh, part of my knee. Um, I pulled like two sessions and uh, bingo, bango. I had a big old bag of fluid uh, where my knee used to be and a bunch of swelling. You know, it, that's not the right move for me because I lack the medial joint stability to really be able to pull off 
um, sumo. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different factors that, that get involved here. And if you're going to talk about getting strong and moving weight and force through the body, how you do it matters. So, um, so definitely next on, on the grinds would just be, uh, kind of recapping some of those high tension techniques, you know, understanding how to produce that inter-abdominal pressure, diaphragmatic breathing, um, understanding how to use irradiation, feed forward tension. Um, some people will preach against feed forward tension. And honestly, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about because you've apparently never picked up anything heavy. Um, oh, I mean, uh, yeah, man, isn't that the truth? Yeah. So I, I'm, and the last of the, the kind of strong first principles there would be the dominanta. And basically that means, you know, using enough tension to enhance the lift, not so much that becomes the goal of the lift. You can squeeze yourself so tight that you can't effectively produce the movement that you're trying to produce. So you use enough tension to enhance the lift. And I think that's probably one of the biggest misinterpretations of hard style technique is this, this concept of max tension. Well, it's max tension that's directed by the dominanta. It is enough tension to enhance the lift. I'm going to be honest. I used to use the words max tension. I never use the words max tension in anything I do anymore. Yeah. It's Usually, kind of like packed, packed shoulder. Yeah. I don't use the word packed shoulder anymore. I want you to connect your shoulder. Well, well, like think of it this way, right? Um, if, if sort of opposite end of the spectrum, but it's important to tie it all together. So if I'm working in at, on speed development and I'm trying to teach a high school kid to really just optimize a sprint technique, the worst thing I can say is try as hard as possible. Yeah. Like just work, just run as hard as you can because once they do that, they focus on tension and they don't focus on running mechanics or their footstep. All they're thinking about is how tight can I get? And excessive tension is inefficient and you're slow. So, you know, the dominata to me is, is a, is a place that you work towards with your tension efficiency and your ability to develop skill, right? The dominata is not going to happen day one, even though you want it to, the dominata is something that is experienced and developed over years of practice and application, right? I'm not saying that like you hit to this point where you're a dominata, like, you know, you've got the dominata certification. But my point is, is the, the process of understanding and learning and experiencing tension and relaxation and, and being very nuanced and being very aware of how you address those things are very, very important. So when it comes to max tension or max speed, um, I think we need to do a much better job at all of us, not, not just myself, but about telling the story of Dominata and telling, you know, educating people on the process of tension and relaxation on how it is literally a skill that starts off with really basic stuff. And then you add to it. It's like weightlifting. You start off light and then you eventually go heavy due to, you know, the information that you get. And with the Dominata, that's exactly it. But a lot of people just think, I got it. I'm just going max tension. I'm like, no, you don't got it. You got a part of it. And if you've ever done a really, really intense training session, like, um, you know, something that is uh, more strength endurance bias, maybe it's a 
maybe it's a snatch test, right? Or, you know, secret service snatch test. If you come out too fast and too tense, forget it, man. Yeah, you're done. So it's knowing, you know, knowing how much to use, when to use it. And look, I wish I could tell you what your squat technique's going to look like, you know, what your load's going to look like, what your speed's going to look like, um, you know, what your potential numbers are. But at the end of the day, we're going to gather the information from the assessment process. And then we're just going to continue refining the process to be a better strength athlete until you die. I mean, sounds kind of dramatic, but at the same time, like there is no journey. There's always these little nuances. Right. And, um, you know, as someone who's trained combat athletes where we, we, we really have to understand the importance of tension and relaxation, especially if you've done like jujitsu and you've ever actually, even if you've ever wrestled with a buddy in the backyard for a minute, it's one of the most exhausting things you've ever done. Now, if you know how to train, I can grapple for 30 minutes, not with my coach, but you know, with, with other people, right. I can, I can keep moving because I'm, I'm efficient at it, but if I wasn't efficient at it, I would not, I would not be able to, to roll for 30 minutes because I, I didn't know what to do in my, and, and I was using so much tension that I was gassing myself out. And I think a lot of people do that when it comes to practicing and programming grinds. 100%. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to the ballistics conversation at some point, but uh, the because uh, I, I love seeing people come in for a snatch test and you can tell they've got the volume knob at 10 and they're just max effort snatching every rep. And it's like, good luck doing 100 of those because that's yeah, going to suck. You can tell about about 25 yeah. deep, you're going, oh, this, is, <laughs> this might not be good. <laughs> but the uh, so, you know, looking at the grinds and, you know, the coming off of the programming demystified seminar and, and all of the different programming options. I think if we step back and look at, and as professionals, we should kind of all be able to do this. We should be able to look at the neurological, mechanical and metabolic adaptations that we're looking for within a particular protocol, a particular program. Um, when we look more at grinds and strength training um, from a neurological standpoint, we're definitely looking at, uh, at um, the, um, my brain, I'm still jet lagged. Um, we're, you know, we're looking at rate of force development. We're looking at uh, type two uh, X uh, fibers, uh, trying to be a little, little preferential recruited, but type one, type ones have their, you know, type ones are only slow. If you compare them to type twos, type ones are still pretty darn fast. They're, they're still part of the equation. So when we say we want to, you know, go after type two X fibers, cool. Type ones are coming along for the ride, yeah. and you you can look at Henneman size principle, and you you can look at uh, how motor units are recruited, and uh, definitely we, we need to get to a load that uh, that gets us in that kind of optimal sort of recruitment path. Um, so you know the intra and intermuscular coordination is the last thing that we're we're kind of looking for from that neurological standpoint. So we're we're building these efficient patterns so that we can bring more and more um, uh, if efficiency and strength to it because if i can you know if it takes me a thousand motor units to perform a movement initially but i get to the point where i can do that movement uh with 600 or 500 motor units i've really increased my efficiency and now if i can increase that neural drive i can start bringing i can really increase my strength because i still got 500 motor units yet to bring to bear and so the, that that neurological efficiency um, really matters as we're as we're strength training. Uh, from a mechanical standpoint, we're looking at that tissue adaptation, right? We're looking for some myofibril hypertrophy. 
um, increasing the you know um, thickness uh, and uh, capacity of that muscle to generate force um, and um, uh, connective tissues. We're looking to enhance the ability of the tendon to uh, handle that load and the connections there. The um, ligaments are involved. Like it, it's all getting loaded. So, you know, we're looking for those mechanical adaptations. Those take time. Uh, the first two or so weeks of a, of a program, uh, a lot of neurological adaptations, um, you'll see some quick gains. If you do not take the next four to six weeks to stabilize those gains, and a lot of that is happening in those mechanical structures, um, those gains are going to be very quickly lost. So we want to stabilize those adaptations. Uh, and then from the metabolic standpoint, there's a lot going on from um, the local muscular um, level where we're looking at mitochondrial efficiency and the ability to clear um, hydrogen ions, mm. uh, understanding that when, and this is where strength from a metabolic standpoint, um, muscle contractions go glycolytic really fast. <laughs> uh, and because you're contracting the muscle, you're not getting blood flow returned. So you're really hammering away at CPA lactic and glycolytic. Um, there's not a lot of chance to get aerobic within a local muscular uh, area because of the muscle contraction. You're preventing blood flow, which is why shorter sets, good rest, fast and loose techniques are so important. Uh, Underappreciated for the uh, muscular work is the sarcoplasmic reticulum and the uh, calcium ion pumping. So a third of the energy used in a muscle contraction is used to produce relaxation. It is an active process that takes energy to pump the calcium out of the uh, uh, sarcoplasmic reticulum and actually produce relaxation. Pretty easy to pump it in. All you gotta do is open the gate and it dumps in. Um, pretty hard to pump it back out. So, you know, a third of a muscle energy used by muscle, uh, producing relaxation is, is really important. So those calcium, calcium ions and calcium, uh, channels, uh, really important within, within the muscular work. So keeping the sets, uh, short, uh, one third to two third repetition max, uh, doing the predominance of your strength training work in the 70 to 85% range. Um, all critical factors to making your grinds and your strength training, um, more, uh, more effective. Yeah. And, and, and I love the fact that you're talking about sort of the specific adaptations with, with like kettlebell work versus sort of the systemic cardiovascular work that we see in, you know, rowing, uh, running, jogging, biking, um, tension is occlusion. And that's the thing people don't understand when you create muscular tension by default, you, 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 you occlude blood flow, right? It's just how it is. So, when you occlude blood flow, you need to help facilitate blood flow fast and loose. So guys, like this, this stuff that we're talking about here is not just like good idea stuff. Like it's, if you just think logically, like if you just think logically, Hey, if I tighten something for X amount of time, right. And I start to feel like, wow, I'm getting fatigued. What are you going to do? Like if you grab onto something and you're carrying something from a very, very, very long time, like if you get to grab a friggin' heavy bucket and you get to walk it 200 yards, the first thing you're going to do is post it down. You're going to put it on the ground. You're going to shake your hand out. It's the first thing you're going to do. You're not going to, you know, you're literally just going to shake the tension out because it hurts because it burns. Like that's a natural response that we do. 
all we're doing is we're saying, hey, this is going to help elsewhere in performance. It's a natural thing. If you hold on to something too long, you have occlusion. One of the best way to clear congestant in occlusion is movement, but not excessive movement and not movement with high tension. It's quite the opposite. It's zero tension. So like there's a commonsensical part of this too, guys, right? It's not like this is what Pavel says and this is like, like think about it. Like literally go freaking grab your grocery bags and walk for 15 minutes straight. Let me know how your hands feel after. Like it's a, it's go, an extreme go, example. Go rock climbing for the first time. Exactly. Well, that's my point. Jiu-jitsu is a big one, right? They're like, my yeah. forearms, my hands. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. it's like when someone swings a kettlebell and they do one arm swings for the first time. And they're like, what does this work? I'm like, you'll know tomorrow. Uh, you're, <laughs> yep, you're going to know. And, and, and a lot of the times I'm like, is it like bottom of the bicep, lat, forearm? Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. Because you just use your deliberate grip way more than you ever have used your deliberate grip. And those are going to be uh, the response from the stress that you put on the system. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, guys, is just finding that balance, right? Too much tension, inefficient, not enough tension, weak. Yep. And then ballistics are an expression of balance uh, and an expression of tension and relaxation paired with timing. Ballistics, I mean, uh, grinds, I'm not saying that uh, they're easier, but they're a little bit easier. <laughs> Because, oh yeah, you know, you can get away with, well, even the term grind. Like if you think about like when you grind out something, it's effort. And it's usually, let's be honest, when you're like, oh man, I really was grinding that out. Like you're not thinking it looked perfect and magical. You're thinking that was heavy and it took some work, but I got it done. And, and that's a big part yeah. of it. So there's no way you can think your way through a ballistic. It's happening too fast. Exactly. But you can, but you can kind of have a greater awareness of what's happening uh, through a grind because it's, uh, it's typically uh, happening at a, at a different pace. Now, in the end, we want to bring, you know, um, compensatory acceleration and, and, um, and some power ish techniques to our uh, grinds. Uh, that's, that's how we get better rate of force development and, and get better uh, coordination uh, within the, within the movement. But um, that has to be done. That's powerful medicine that you only need just a smidge of to make a difference. Uh, most of the work, again, is done in that 70 to 85% um, one RM range, one third to two third rep max uh, range that um, really, really moves things forward. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, I enjoy being strong. Um, that's why iron cardio has appealed to me, you know, so much as I've, as I've used it and I've gotten back to, you know, using the the 36 and 40 and double 32s. And as soon as I recover from it, I'll, I'll do another double 36 workout. And, um, you know, those, those are, uh, uh, I, I enjoy being able to move weight like that, but I also know that I need to balance it with relaxation techniques, with ballistics, with, uh, keeping that athleticism, uh, in there. And so, yeah, it's, uh, and, and grinds are, our skill. Um, it's the, it's the same as a musician practice in chords. Every time I try to press, there's a skill aspect that I want to, uh, work on and, uh, videoing yourself is funny. Cause I, I still catch myself doing things that I'm just, I am not aware of, uh, in my press. I'm focused on the press. Um, and when I, when I press with my left, my right arm's up, but when I press my right, my left arm isn't up and I've got some, like, I'm not, 
questioning any of it since since I came back from from cancer and and, and training. I've had a tendency to look up during things like swings and snatches and uh, sometimes presses and stuff like that. And people are like, why are you looking up? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I, I didn't even I, know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm performing the movement and uh, you know, the look at the film afterwards and go, hmm, that's interesting. Wait, no, I was doing that. Are you saying that you aren't perfect with kettlebells, Brett? I can neither confirm nor deny such reports. We shall see. But I'm see having trouble denying them. Um, exactly. Uh, well, anyways, Brett, we covered a lot today, man. And, uh, you know, we, we we went fairly deep, but not too, too crazy. But it's always good to talk shop a little bit. And uh, you know, it's funny. You're like, it's good to be strong. Like, no one ever gets to the point where they're strong and healthy and goes, that was a bad idea. Right. Like, like I'm going to be honest. Like, I've been the strong guy. <laughs> I've been the weak guy. It's way better to be the strong guy. It's let me tell you, it's just easier. Like everything in life is better when you're stronger and pain-free and you move well, like literally your asset to everybody in your life. And I'm not just talking about like, a war, like literally every person that's important to you, you being physically strong and healthy, you can be an asset to their life. So being strong is cool. Being mobile is cool. Being hurt sucks. Being jacked and hurt sucks more because you're just jacked and hurt. So <laughs> it's all, what's a, uh, what, what does Pavel say? You know, look like Tarzan play like Jane, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that what he said a long time ago? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was something that is, is pretty funny, but, um, anyways, guys, you know, we're always looking to, you know, revisit this stuff. And we talked about, you know, ballistics and grinds years ago, but just like, just like strength training and, and, and anything in life, you have to revisit those things that you fell in love with because you've learned so much more. So, um, you know, we're going to be diving through some topics that you uh, may have heard in the past, but we're going to have a different spin on it. Why? Because we're learning and we're trying to find ways to get better. So, um, but before we and, go, and, and, uh, we don't remember what we said last time. So it's all new again. hundred percent. You are 1000% right. <laughs> like I can't tell you people like, Oh, I remember on podcast, blah, blah, blah. You said that. I was like, yeah, no, I don't dude. I don't even know what happened at the beginning of this podcast right now. So, you know, trying to remind me of something that happened years ago when I've, we've recorded hundreds of podcasts. Yeah. It's a little bit tough, but, yeah. um, Jones, any words of hey, wisdom? No, November 19th. Oh, what's that? November 19th is the first iron cardio workshop happening at skill of strength from 9 a.m. to noon. You know spaces, are, spaces are limited. And they actually are. You know, it's funny because I'm looking at it right now and like I'm going to pull like when we say, you know, spaces are limited, like that's not like a marketing ploy, like legit. We've only got nine spots left, guys, and it's about a month. So there is nine spots left for this. Um if you want to, you know, come hang out with that, with us at SOS that morning and have a good time, um, you know, probably a lot of movie quotes and a lot of shenanigans, but you're going to learn a lot. So, uh, look, if you want to hang out, you want to come to SOS, you know, break a little bread with Brett and I, uh, it'd be fun to see you. So, um, you know, check out the links in our bio. You can, uh, you can check out Brett on Instagram and, uh, you have a link tree there, right, Brett? So they can go and get access to the link and, and I'll send it out yep. to you. But, um, you know, what we should try to do is I'll just make sure that we add that link into the show notes because, uh, well, I don't really do the show notes. So, uh, anyways, thank you guys for listening. And, uh, we truly appreciate your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, do us a huge favor and please give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. 
Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.